What's up everyone? Welcome to Physio Monday. We're going to be talking about labrum tears today. Hip, hip labrum tears to be more specific. We've got Phil on the show, a resident physiotherapist. So get your questions in and uh, tune in for a good discussion. What's up everyone? My name is Rad. I am one of the co-founders of Unity Gym and the UMS, the Unified Movement System, where we turn driven people into strong and flexible athletes. If that's something that appeals to you, then you're going to want to grab one of our free downloads, the Flexibility Blueprint, the Strength Blueprint, and the Nutrition Blueprint. There's a link in the description of this podcast or YouTube video, wherever you're consuming the content. And also, if you're not already a member, go over to Facebook and join our private group called the UMS Movement Mastermind, where we record these podcasts live and answer your questions. Now, as always, I am joined by our resident physiotherapist, Phil White. How are you doing today, bro? So well. Yep. So well. Yeah, I just had such a great weekend. Um, yeah, you did, didn't you? It's been about me. like probably about nearly four or five hours in the surf and I was so, so upset. There was a whale in the surf both days at Manly Beach and I missed it. I just missed it. Uh, <laughs> but if anyone wants to check out some cool photos, yeah, search uh, Manly Beach whale surfing and there are just some amazing drone shots of these like boards surrounding um, uh, the whale and know that that was nearly me, but it yeah. wasn't. So yeah, it's pretty magic though. It makes yeah. you feel good about the world when something yeah. like that happens. Yeah, that's awesome. In the midst of dark times. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. too true, huh? Too yeah. true. Uh, but this is a yeah, great topic that I'm uh, keen to talk on and I think we could probably spend quite a while talking about labrums today because it's a topic that often comes up because it's related both the hip and the shoulder. So, um, you know, we're, we're focusing on the hip today, but there's so much you can take away from the shoulder and we'll even, you know, discuss your experience with your shoulder um, yeah, for sure. labral issue as an example. So um, yeah, I think it's a, a really good one to also just get the basic principles about rehab training. So yep. um, I'll, I'll, Before we do that, I just want to give everyone that's watching live a real quick shout out. I can see we've got a bunch of people on here. Can you please just comment in the comments section, um, just saying hi or anything so we know who we've got here uh, and we can give you a shout out and get your questions in. Any questions, um, especially to do with labrum, but anything physio yeah, any related. physio related. There's been not too many people with, with issues this week that I could see. And if you are putting Hopefully questions on the UMS mastermind, yeah, I think we must be getting something right here um, if you are putting any questions to them actually do tag us like actually getting the notifications up because Randall whose questions we're answering today put our names but didn't tag it so it's just yeah, a bit easier yeah, to find yeah, it and maybe even right. put like hashtag physio monday or something yeah. just hi, to, hi to lee and hi dave thanks for uh chiming in and uh, welcome to the show so should i read out um randall's question and go then on. we can go from there so uh i'm having to scroll down have you got it in yeah, front of you it. okay you got so it. Okay. rad i was hoping you phil and yanni could speak about hip labrum tears during the physio cast mine are classified as extensive tears to of the anterior and lateral labrum uh, and of course surgery was recommended however from what i can tell surgery is sketchy results wise uh, especially for people over 50. Frankly, I'd rather modify and strengthen than have surgery, but it would be great to hear a bit of discussion about this and if there are any alternatives that I should look at, like uh, prolotherapy, joint manipulation, uh, etc. Uh, could just mean my goals from uh, doing splits may move to handstands. Love that thinking, Randall. That's just like, you've just, you've just kind of finished the question so well that I like your yeah. mindset's in exactly the right to this place. So. Um, yeah, I guess to start off, um, explaining what a labrum actually is, is, is probably the, the way to go. So with um, both our shoulders and our hips, we have um, ball and socket joints, which are amazing because they just facilitate 
like you know so much movement um we can uh obviously access a whole lot more movement in our shoulder because it's quite a shallow um ball and socket joint whereas in our hips they're quite deep sockets um which is where the labrum sits and so what the labrum does is it actually just adds like a kind of a point of contact it's made of cartilage um that kind of increases the like surface area of um the joint and, and basically adds like a little bit of cushioning and support so it's yeah it, it's deep in, into that socket now um as i always talk about with rehab principles you got to think about whether or not it's an active or a passive structure that you're dealing with because that really impacts how your um rehab is going to be planned and so when you think about a cartilage sort of um you know little uh dish inside the joint you can t tell it's going to be a passive structure because cartilage no matter how hard we concentrate we can't contract our cartilage so uh, it's really important to understand that for um our basic sort of rehab principles it's all about how can we deload the passive structures because with passive structures remember they're um going to be basically like our um our backup like end of range um support structures uh and then ideally our muscles are doing most of the work as they can control the rest of the range so does that make sense are there any clarifying questions yeah yeah for sure i mean if there? i if i put that in layman's terms like the takeaway from everything that phil just said is you know you've got your your passive structures, which are the deep muscles that often nope. we, sorry? <laughs> passive structures are not deep muscles. No, no. no. Passive structures are the it, bones, cartilage, ligaments, anything we can't contract. Oh, there you go. Okay. So, so I got that totally wrong. Yes, so I've, <laughs> I've got to be more clear. But basically, yeah, passive structures can't, um, we can't contract them, okay. we can't control them. So what do you refer to the rotator cuff? So that the rotator cuff is a series of four different muscles in the shoulder, and so they're active Stability you structures. still call them? Okay, really? They're absolutely okay. active. Their whole job is to... Oh, for sure. I yeah. just, I misunderstood. See, for, for those of you that are listening, I'm a trainer. I'm not a physio. <laughs> so I learned this stuff from Phil and we've been having these discussions for a while now and I, yeah, the term, I misunderstood the term, what the you The terminology said. can be a bit funny, but yeah, when yeah, you, I, just, I, thought, I, I try and simplify it to the ultimate degree where it's like, is it, can you contract it? If so, it's an active it's, structure. Yeah, so right. Muscles, okay, yeah, tendons. Yeah, yeah. Okay, makes like sense. Like muscles attaching into tendons. Yeah. Um, whereas passive structures are anything else, so that's going to be bone, cartilage, ligaments, Beautiful. things that we can't control. Yeah, okay. <laughs> sweet, sweet. So the labrum is a yeah, it's a passive, passive structure. structure. So it's yeah. in. The is it considered muscle? No, it's cartilage. It's is cartilage. It? cartilage. Cartilage. Okay. It's cartilage. So um, yeah, it's, it's so my slap tear is mm. that a tear of the cartilage? Yep. And yep. so with the slap tear, well, this is in the shoulder. You've got your um, superior labrum anterior posterior, yep. which basically means it's going from the front to the back and it's on the top. On the superior yep. portion. Of, yeah. And so the reason why you get a bit confused there about whether or not it's um, kind of um, active structure is because it's an attachment site for your one of your bicep tendons. Yep. And so there's an active component yeah. to yeah. it, like it's but it's an anchoring point yeah. for and and does it uh d does it does it repair does the cartilage repair so does the thing about cartilage is um you know cartilage is a very slow to repair um type of tissue um, and i know it yeah and <laughs> like with cartilage you know there's very low blood supply to cartilage so it does take a bit um longer with these sort of things and so um on randall's questions he's talked about prolotherapy here which is the type of um you know blood therapy and and when kim spin the blood yeah and yeah. kim angler has come and talk, uh, and answered in the question um she's talked about uh, autologous blood and platelet-rich plasma injections as well so um there's clearly a you know a real interest around how to make cartilage repair and i think to try and not just go into this like big rabbit hole um 
I think the kind of simplest way of thinking about um, how to approach a labral tear is, you know, think about what you can do to support the joint itself. And then anything around cartilage repair is going to be a bit more speculative, a bit more sort of, um, you know, like it would be nice, but there's so much you can do for the joint itself. Because the thing about... Um, can it repair though? Like in like the best cut, case scenario, can like cut, a cartilage, cartilage does tear? slowly repair, but then, um, you know, age becomes a bit of a factor about it. But there's always things that you can do. And I just want to get, um, we've talked about this bit about last week with pain science and how, um, you know, with discs in the, in the back yesterday. But the really important thing to understand is that just because you have morphological change, so change to the actual structure, so if the cartilage is damaged, does not mean that you're going to be in pain. It does not mean that you're going to be limited in your function. So that's the really important thing to kind of wrap this whole conversation in is that there's like what we can do for joint health and then there's going to be if the cartilage will heal or not is kind of less important in the end because mm. really like there's so much you can do uh, outside of that and your pain is not related to your morphological function. So I did a quick little... Um, look around to see numbers around how what percentage of people who are pain-free, full function, have labral tears. And one quick study I found from 2012 looked at women in their 40s, and 69% of women in their 40s have labral tears, but like very you know, few, very few know, actually yeah. know about it. Yeah. And so again, like we talked about last week with imaging for lower back pain or or back pain, that like so many people will start to develop some kind of pain, go and get a scan, find out they have a labral tear, and then think, aha, this is the cause of my pain. But really, if you'd scanned them like two years ago, they probably would have still had that labral tear. Mm -hmm. So unless your um, pain is very much related to a traumatic event, so like you've, um, you know, with your labral tear where you um, missed re-racking was how you did it, right? Or No, no, it was uh, working on the a progression for the planche, a calisthenics mm. movement, if you don't know what that is, where you put your shoulder into a really loaded, uh, semi-extended, yeah. or well, semi-flex position, I guess. And yeah. yeah, so that's a really good example of a traumatic instance causing a label tear. I had one where um, basically I, I was playing ultimate frisbee and I was going up for a big catch and someone came in and barged me by the side and subluxed my shoulder and tore my labrum in my... Um, what does it mean when you sublux your shoulder? So basically, instead of a full dislocation where the joint totally comes out of the joint, it basically like comes down a little bit, goes back in. Yeah, right. Yeah. So it's just like the the joint kind of gets a yep. bit extended, like um, yeah, stretched but not yep. dislocated. Yeah. Um, and so that was another example of like a traumatic labral mm -hmm. tear. Um, mm -hmm. Whereas if you haven't kind of had one of those incidences and you've, it's more of a kind of, you know, insidious onset or it can be related to like if you've had hip dysplasia as a baby, um, if you're um, generally more hypermobile. So I've, I've, I'm on the laxity scale of being a bit more hypermobile with my um, passive structures. So I'm more prone to tears as well. So there's things that can impact it, but unless you've had like a um, real traumatic event, it's, it's really unlikely that like the um, onset of pain is related to when that kind of labrum changed mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. uh yeah a bit of a, a tricky one here but Matt, there's yeah, quite a few questions a, coming in um it, it, it you know talking what, what you're talking about here i mean i've not the not the hip labrum but the shoulder labrum i've now successfully rehabilitated a 
a very nasty injury that I had in my shoulder. And yeah, the, the process for the rehabilitation was there was no focus on the labrum itself. The whole focus was on the active structures, the muscles, and how I can strengthen uh, different movement patterns and basically just be progressive. Um, and it worked really well for me. I had a really great result without any medical intervention. Yes, I think actually that's not true. That's not true. I did get a um, cortisone injection. Is that what it's called? Cortisone or yep. cortisol? Cortisone. 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 I, I did get a cortisone injection in the so very be, early stages. So to be clear, a cortisone injection is a very strong anti-inflammatory um, yep. uh, steroid. Yep. Um, so it's what you use when you know it's when they kind of want to test if they're going to do surgery, and it's basically or it's just to get people out of um, you know extreme discomfort. But it's generally not recommended to do continuously because yeah especially with tendons it can really start yeah. to weaken the tendons around it so it, it definitely did help me because but as a facilitator for yeah. exercise as a facilitator for active intervention it's yeah. and that's how i used it um i should be really clear on that because i spoke to phil i got phil's advice i got i got advice from a, a couple of professionals um, and the advice that i got was if you're going to use it to allow you to exercise and rehabilitate then it it is an option uh and i used it exactly for that so yeah. anyway yeah. uh but yeah i think We'll go into your kind of experience of rehabbing that. Um, probably, we'll just quickly get um, yeah, yeah, go through some, the questions, some of the yeah. questions coming So Jonathan Leffler is saying, uh, hey, everyone, finally caught uh, the live video today. That's, That's awesome. Fine. Lee Clements is saying, can cartilage be rebuilt with supplements, etc." Yeah, so a lot of people ask about quick? the like chondroitin and all those yeah. kind of supplements. Um, I think probably if you're, if, I don't, I, like I'm not an expert in this sort of, that side of things. Um, I wouldn't say rebuilt the like the really important thing with with cartilage is getting the right kind of load as well to stimulate it so if you want to look into i think supplements i like, think one of the b biggest things to understand about supplements is that if they if they irrefutably worked yeah there would be no question about yeah them. and you'd go to a doctor and a doctor would tell you to take it so it's at best yeah. supplements like, are going to give you the smallest amount of like if if it was something that was the silver bullet yeah we'd all know about it that you wouldn't be asking this question here just yep. in the same way that we know that that if you've got a headache you take panadol like we know that that works yeah. it, there is objective you know um yeah. clinical research there is nothing that is that you know definitive about supplements yeah. so um, Eric is saying, I tore the labrum on my left shoulder a few years ago by falling down. Uh, wrong, not fun, and took months to heal. Yeah, I know all about it. Uh, Kyle is saying, I did my hip uh, at footy uh, with it trying to pop out um, my glute. Uh, mechanism was sub-lux, but uh, didn't pop out. Thankfully, no surgery. Similar yeah, so I think rad. both of these examples are really good examples of a like an acute traumatic injury where you're in this case, the labrum is much more likely to kind of be the driver of pain as opposed to like those kind of insidious onset, those gradual onset stuff where it's like people get a scan and then suddenly think it's a labrum is the big issue when really it's just like a, a greater sort of dysfunctional joint. Um, yeah, right. Yeah. I don't really think there's any questions there, Phil. They're, no, no, no. Just wanted to kind of comments. Yeah, yeah, yeah. clarify that. So with Rad's experience of the shoulder, like just is a really good example of how to kind of approach, um, you know, a labral rehab um, in a very active sort of way. So I think maybe if you want to just kind of talk about your- Yeah, of, yeah, know, for sure. So my experience, so I had an acute injury, I was doing a workout and I felt a sudden sharp pain on one of the reps of one of the sets that I did. Um, I didn't think that much of it. I thought, ah, you know, I've kind of moved around and I, I wasn't doing any overhead movements. So in the workout, I didn't actually push my arms up to really feel what it was like. 
So I continued my workout and I finished it, which one of my biggest lessons was uh, if I ever, ever experience a sharp pain in a workout again, it doesn't matter what I feel during the workout, I'm going to stop immediately because I'm certain that I did far more damage by continuing the workout uh, and continuing to do the exact same exercise that caused the pain. Uh, anyway, um, later on that day, I've, I had uh, just a chronic pain in my shoulder and I couldn't lift my arm above um, shoulder height. Uh, I couldn't, you know, uh, on the podcast, if you're watching, I'm, only, I'm barely lifting my hand above shoulder height here. Uh, and I just thought to myself, oh, you know, I better have an Epsom salt bath tomorrow. I've got some bad DOMS, you know, some bad muscle fatigue from that workout. Uh, over the next week, it progressively got worse and it was it was so bad that I could, could barely move my arm. Um, so I consulted Phil and, and Phil's advice was, you know, just keep moving, but, you know, really just take it easy and see how it progresses. And I can't remember exactly how long it was. I think it was about... So actually, I, I shouldn't when I say take it easy and, and keep training, like the thing with this kind of stuff is you want to keep the structures active yeah. and train in your available range. So yeah. Rad had a really clear like certain range hurt him, but within like activities within that range. So once you got past 90 degrees, painful, but below that, yeah. manageable. Yeah, and that was definitely your advice. I should have been more specific there. It was trained within the active range. I can't remember the exact time frame. I think it was within a month that I could definitely tell it was not improving and that's where I, when I decided to go and get an MRI and the MRI showed a slap tear and a torn supraspinatus and some other stuff that it was just you know getting older um, so I tried then you know I got a very specific rehabilitation strategy and I tried doing that for about a month and it wasn't improving fast enough for my liking so I went and got a um, cortisone injection and the cortisone injection within a day or two gave me a, a, a new range of motion I could move my arm above my head so I started really using that and again working with Phil working within my available range and following a very progressive program and it was that strategy that developed the shoulder rehab program that we now offer people uh, and it worked really really well I, uh, I was I just saw consistent progress and yeah, so the key thing to think, think about with these ball and socket joints is that when you are moving in any direction, um, we've, I've talked about how muscles are dumb before, but basically the prime movers, so your big muscles like in your hip, for example, uh, you know, your quad at the front um, and your hip flexors will um, bring your leg forward um, and your glutes, and, glutes hamstrings. and hamstrings at the back will, you know, be your extensors, your abductors will abduct and your adductors will adduct. So you have these big global muscles that are pull, like pulling your hip in, in different directions. But what also happens with ball and socket joints is that, you know, these, these global muscles are just contracting, they're only shortening. And so what that does is, is it moves in that direction, but also cause they glide within the joint. So the actual ball is gliding within the socket and so the labrum plays a part in trying to like help sort of limit that a bit but the big job comes down to um the muscles that attach onto the ball as well so in your shoulder people really enormous well yeah exactly <laughs> so in 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 your shoulder you have your rotator cuff muscles and they're the four muscles that sit around your shoulder blade and their whole job is to like you know we train them as rotators but really their job is to stop that glide and so within our hip we Do have they all originate on the scapula yep all of them connect to the yep. scapula and then onto the humerus yep. yeah okay yeah, cool. yeah um three on the back and then one on the front yep. um but yeah with in our hip we have heaps and heaps of little muscles and piriformis is the favorite of yep. um everyone too. trainers yep and <laughs> and i don't know all health professionals just love kind of talking about the piriformis um and they all attach onto 
the ball, just like we do have in the shoulder. And they are rotators. So we have external rotators on the back and we have a couple of internal rotators as well. Um, but their main job really is the same sort of thing. So we're looking at trying to stop the, um, the gliding of the joint. So an example of like how this kind of, um, you know, people who are kicking or, or when you're sprinting, you, you, you're really driving your hip forward into flexion. So if you didn't have muscles that are putting the brakes on that limb, then you'd just, you'd get closing down of that space femoracetabular impingement, FAI, yep. that you might have heard of before, where you get pe basically pinching of that, that joint space. And, you know, at, if you didn't have the extensors as well, you'd get full-on anterior dislocation. So yep. their job there is to really try and control the ball within the socket, keep it in the middle of the joint so we have a nice pivot point instead of having a joint that's gliding around and basically bashing up against all the passive structures. So the, the joint, um, you know, the bone itself, yep. the labrum, and yep. the joint capsule. So... Yeah, if we can have active structures that are really doing their job, then you get much less bouncing around of like the bone on bone for yeah. a, a term that I hate. But like, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, if we can control the, the bone, then it's going to do much less stress on the passive structures and therefore keep the joint much happier and healthier. So um, for people who've done sort of hip and shoulder rehab with me, there's, there's a big kind of, the big focus is about basically getting really good balance on the joint as a whole. So keeping for upper body, for example, keeping horizontal push and pull, keeping vertical push pull. For some people, it can't be vertical. It will just be, yeah. you know, whatever level yeah. of incline that you can manage, pain-free range. Um, and then for the hip, it's all about still developing all the kind of good hip strength we do in you know, yeah. the Unity program, but then adding in some extra stability work as yeah. well. Can I, I want to take an, uh, a moment here to, to point out something that really stood out to me from what Phil said uh, just then and to highlight something that we are always talking about when people ask us, you know, uh, why is the UMS such a good program? One of the, when he was talking about that kicking example and putting the brakes on so the hip doesn't, doesn't um, fly out, if you guys go back and, and re-listen to what Phil just said there, it really highlights the importance of training agonist and antagonist muscles equally, regardless of what your goal is. So, you know, it doesn't matter if you have a really, like for me, one of my big goals at the moment, like something that I identified in my upper body and my shoulder that I've known for my life, but I never cared about it before because I never cared about aesthetics as a driving force for my training. But my, my chest, my pec major is quite underdeveloped for the rest of the muscles in my shoulder. And, uh, and I'm trying to create symmetry in my shoulder now as, uh, you know, I'm out of rehab and I want to avoid this ever happening again. But I don't just train chest. It doesn't matter that that is a muscle that I've identified needs some hypertrophy in it. I train one-to-one -one ratio of pu horizontal pushing and horizontal pulling movements. So every for every set, for every rep that I do something that it develops chest strength, I do the exact same amount of sets and reps that develop pulling strength. So what Phil was talking about there, it really highlights the importance of that. And, and that's a really, you know, w when you're gonna be thinking about rehabilitating a labrum, um, what, whatever muscles you're training, you have to understand how to train the opposing muscle yeah. groups. It's as well. all about making the system of that joint so that all the muscles that work together as good and as strong as it can be. Because sometimes people get a bit like, oh, you know, like, why am I doing all this sort of, you know, this isn't targeted, this isn't yeah, rehab. Yeah, yeah. But it's like, well, if you have a system that doesn't work, then yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, and and I and I was like that for years as a personal yeah. trainer, as a as a juvenile personal trainer that didn't understand this stuff, I tried to think, well, I just want to make this better. Or if somebody said yeah. to me, I want to make that's that what, better, I would feed that. So it like, really frustrates me when people have like rotator cuff issues and then they 
like the person who's prescribing rehab just gets them to do external rotations until the cows come yep. home. And it's yep. like, well, you've got a muscle that's like struggling already and then you're going to overload it with way more training and then not give the rest of the system yep. like the balance to be able to all work together so that when you then come back to doing activities, like <laughs> yep. everything's deconditioned and like you're totally imbalanced like muscle-wise and it's just... Yep. Yeah, no good. Whereas, and and with the external rotation versus like more dynamic stability work, like the way that these stability muscles work, so the rotator cuff in your shoulder and the hip external rotators and internal rotators, like they have to be reactive. It's not pre-planned stuff. Like you're not thinking that. Like you're not sitting there thinking, okay, go rota- like external yeah, rotators, yeah. stop the anterior like glide. Like you don't yeah. think about that stuff. It all happens reactively, and it all happens within a system of movement. So that's why it's so key to keep your big global movements there train it within like an, a comfortable range so um, I know a lot of people in the unity kind of tribe get uh, you know I, I don't even call it like movement purists where people love like an astrograss squat and they love kind of making it look as like deep and you know like really exploring full range which I'm totally on board for um, but sometimes it just means that you know to maintain squatting or which is going to be great for keeping your hips healthy like sometimes you know people will just have to take a bit of time squatting to 90 degrees or even yep. squatting to slightly less than yep. 90 degrees and that's okay yep. like <laughs> yeah yep. you don't have to be it's your yeah. available range but yeah. i've had so many people come in and they're like oh i just can't squat anymore and like so i haven't squatted in months and it's like yeah you know, they get to 90 degrees are totally fine it's just that last bit of end range starts to get a, a bit of discomfort so yeah it's really important to think about how we can keep the system happy and then look at training the muscles in both kind of targeted ways so with um the external rotators of the hip which help you know control that um movement within the joint we do a bit of targeted work so doing a bit of external rotation a bit of internal rotation um you know targeted work to like hypertrophy that muscle in a um in that sort of way but then we also look at getting that dynamic stability and what i mean di- by dynamic stability is that's that reactive stability which happens when you're doing you know single leg balance work it's um you know we do a bit of with the shoulder and and the hip um kind of controlling a ball against the wall which seems like a, almost a nothing movement but if you kind of slow it down really get it right then it's it's really quite challenging sort of gentle rotation stuff where you have to um you know really have these muscles very active so uh, Man, and that, that's that was my bread and butter for my shoulder yeah. for six months. Yeah, and then it's all about um, you know even building in sort of more reactive and dynamic stuff where you like for the hip, for example, like if you're looking to get back into running or anything vaguely athletics, it's like learning how to land. So stepping up a box and, and sticking the landing, which is more dynamic single leg work, and then looking into you know how can you control from like a bounding leap to a uh, controlled landing so yeah, i love it yeah. when you when you start to understand how these systems work together it, i mean it's just phenomenal that we can do what we do at the speed we do it at yeah. and most people don't experience any pain or discomfort yeah. like the way that the body works is is just phenomenal it's unbelievable and you know it, it's really up to us to um to take care of that and to to nurture it you know and you get away with a certain period of your life by really not thinking about this because yeah. most people um, are very active up until um, you know late teen years um, is where for some people it starts to go downhill when they get into the workforce and they get out of school and and uh, you know they're not running around as a as a child anymore. But um, yeah, you know you really want to make sure that you continue to train your body in a way yeah. that um, that uh, keeps and it I healthy. Think that's a really good example of like you know as a kid if you're like running around you're playing 
tip and you're just, or you know tag in America or yeah. um, you know you, you're doing all this like multi-direction change of direction playing contact like team sports you kind of yep. you know all these structures are being conditioned regularly time, just from yeah. like playing and, and, yeah. and life whereas then if you go and sit in a at a desk for you know three months in a row from COVID lockdown and you don't yeah. do much yeah. activity then all these structures that are um, you know those dynamic stability structures they've been like oh this is my life now okay yeah, yeah, yeah. i can just chill i can yeah. atrophy i don't need to do anything yep. and then then you start to come back and you try and push end ranges and that's or dynamic you know quick movement then it's going to be like you can see how that's going to be really challenging so yeah. um just one thing i just want to cover two more topics on this really quickly is is a lot of um struggle with sort of passive joint injuries so like labral tears happens in people who really want to um you know explore end range movement which is this yeah. audience <laughs> yeah. so when you're doing like you know total end range stuff as i talked about before with passive structures it's very much kind of your like you know end of range backup sort of support structures so if you're really hammering a like front splits or middle splits it's quite likely that you're going to be more aggravating uh, of those structures so um but i'm totally on board people pursuing their goals so if you want to keep your mobility kind of going um at, i just recommend bringing the movement back from its you know end range end where range, it's yeah. really painful and then getting as much control as you can through range and then starting to explore that control through a larger range as you go because if you're just going into sort of total passive movement and you're letting your muscles totally relax then you're not going to have that control that we've talked about which i really want to hammer this point home um what what phil's talking about there is just to to really make sure you understand what he just said is if your goal is flexibility and you've got like like randall and you're you've had a labral labrum tear one of the worst things that you can do is, is passively try and pull your legs yeah. into their end range and so um, for those of you that have got it, the uh, loaded stretching routine that we have is brilliant for this stuff. So you're you're going to end range, but under load where the muscles are um, controlling the body, controlling the hip, and you can feel when you get to end range controlled, not yeah. not being just pulled there. Um, and then that you know you're actually even strengthening the structures whilst you're doing your flexibility training. It's a it's a very very effective way yeah. to safely develop flexibility. Yeah, exactly. And I think people like. <laughs> kind of get this sort of stretching is a totally virtuous and cure-all magical like thing that you know fixes everything like i'm all for stretching but when you think about passive structure injury if you're just doing stretching as a way of helping it then yeah. you're really not building up that control yeah. and the, the dynamic strength around the joint so it's just okay for people to understand that like sort of when people think like oh i've got a i've got an injury i've got to rehab it most people's minds jump to like what stretches do i need yeah. whereas mm. for this mm. it's not the case and for most things it's really about that balance of getting good movement but but really being able to control that movement through strength yep yeah so absolutely. the last thing i want to talk about is basically coming back to um those ideas around you know whether or not you need um you know autologous blood injection and and basically um also just with with pain science you can see how with if you were to take the like i'm just going to totally split it in two if you just went down the um you know, getting an injection sort of path, like your if you get an injection and you don't do activities that stimulate growth and you, and stimulate, um, you know, this this improvement in function, then it kind of doesn't like doesn't matter what you inject in there, like it's not going to make the system work any better. So it's okay. I don't really like. There's not good evidence to show that um, platelet-rich plasma or or autologous blood injections 
do have a big result. But if you do or you don't, like you've got to be adding like proper dynamic progressive rehab in there. And the thing is with pain science as well, you at, we've talked about it so much before, but you get so much benefit from trusting your body and completing goals and having like movements that give you confidence in your body that if you just went down the injection path and then every day you sat there thinking, is it better yet? Is it better yet? Is it better yet? Without doing something for yourself, without taking control, without like hitting kind of strength goals or movement goals or mobility goals without, or even just like process goals of turning up and doing your, your rehab, then like your brain is not getting a signal that, you know, that I've like, I've got confidence in this joint. Though in, in saying that, like people are really have such a strong mental uh, like placebo result with just going to a doctor and having someone say you're fixed. So, you know, you'll probably get a bit of a placebo there, but yeah, just really want to hammer home that it's so important to be like for, um, you know, all things pain science and, and like solid rehab principles. You've got to be doing some work. Yeah. Yep. And look for anyone that's listening, if you, if you, if you want to go deeper into this and you want to understand how you can fix something like a labrum tear, um, grab one of our rehab programs. They're very well written. They've been written by us who have, who, who have, um, you know, experienced these injuries ourselves and used them. So in this case, yeah, I've you had know, a, I have a left labral tear. Yeah. I also forgot, I've yep. had that. And yeah, I, do more sports and activities than most people I know. So yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> running, um, beach volleyball, all this stuff, which is very, you know, yep. impact heavy, but it can do it because, mm -hmm. you know, we've got this stuff right. Yeah. And if you've got any of those programs, go back and revisit it because we actually just uploaded a new uh, chapter in there for rehabilitation theory that Yanni recorded. And it's really, really good stuff. If you don't have any of them, uh, they're all free and included in the UMS online coaching monthly subscription. So jump on that and join the program. And if you've made it to this this far through the show and you haven't done so already, uh, download one of the free blueprints, the flexibility, strength or nutrition blueprint and come and join our Facebook group, the UMS Movement Mastermind, where we record this live. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Thanks for the um, for the chat. It's great well, to... Stopping uh, here, I could just, you know, just yeah, keep going. Yeah, Phil, just keep going <laughs> with this really, one, for sure. You know, for sure. Um, get aggro with this sort of stuff. Yeah, <laughs> oh, look, it's awesome. I mean, I learn so much from from uh, these chats myself, so I can only imagine what our audience is is learning. It's, yeah. um, it's and, so and please, if you're watching, and like, I know I talk a bit fast and I get excited and I kind of go down rabbit holes sometimes so if you are watching and if things are unclear please in the comments or even if you're listening to this after the fact like kind of let me know like it's good to get sort of feedback about how deep to go and you know how if i'm making things make sense like i try and bring in analogies and try and steer away from uh you know complicated words but i really do appreciate feedback about whether or not the kind of core message is coming through clearly yeah. Well, Phil, it's one of the things that I love about you is that you demystify this stuff. Um, and, I, and I mean that as a real acknowledgement of the way that you do things. Like I've, I have spoken to physios and, and osteos and even me as a, as a personal trainer um, who understands, you know, physiology and, and anatomy a lot better than most people. They often talk in a way that makes me really question it. And I love the way Because there's power in make, keeping it like complicated and yeah, mystical because yeah. it means that you can get people coming back all the time. But if people yep. understand these core concepts, then it's just, you yep. know, it, it means that as a patient, you can go in, you can ask the right questions, you can have a really good understanding of, you know, this stuff yourself and, and you yep. can kind of take that power back in that you know yeah for sure in that, in that dynamic sure. so yeah so if anybody listening does need any extra help uh and wants to do a live um 
online consultation with Phil, you can do that unless, unfortunately, if you live in the United States, uh, his uh, insurance doesn't cover that part of the it's world. Not Yeah, it's just the US health system is bizarro yeah. and we can talk to anyone else in the world, but just not people in the US. Yeah. So. Sorry about that, guys. But, um, yeah. So, yeah. Thanks. Uh, ask th questions on here and you can get some. Yeah, yeah, that's right. You can still get some very good general <laughs> advice. So um, thanks, everyone, for tuning in. We will see you tomorrow for another kick-ass show. Have a great day. Health is about performance, not just body image. You better be willing to accept what you're going to have to do to get there. We'll start focusing on movement goals, strength goals, flexibility goals. When you nail that skill, it's there forever. The body image goal doesn't get you that it's far. It's the consistency and frequency that's going to get you there. It's not the intensity. There's no shortcuts to mastery and movement. Destination doesn't change overnight, but your direction will. It's the gym is not the place to beat up the body that you hate. It's the place to build the body that you love. We are the gym that teaches people how to move instead of just exercise because we believe that health is about performance, not just body image.